We depend largely on the public to help us solve crime. On May 10, 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 went missing in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. In season three of The Lost Boys of Hannibal, Boots on the Ground, we discover new information and details into the boys' disappearance. These are boys, little boys. You don't know what happened. You should try to find out what happened. Nothing should deter you from that. So, yeah, it angers me a little bit. When the deputy mentions these trees would have been here 51 years ago, that's when I immediately knew who we were looking for. Join us as we journey into Hannibal's biggest mystery to find the truth about what happened to Billy, Joey, and Craig. Welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Campbelletta, and with me as always... Chris Ketters. Chris, welcome back. Hey, welcome back. You're the best guest on this show. You're always on it. Yeah, I never failed to show up. You never failed to show up. (laughs) I'm trying to replace you for seasons now. Nobody shows up. (laughs) Chris, I don't think we would have over 100,000 downloads... Uh, without you being my partner so congratulations man that's a lot of people thank you a lot of downloads yeah right back at you man a hundred thousand it's uh you know one of the things i think about uh especially as we've been going up in numbers i keep thinking to myself wow ninety thousand times people listen to this voice Because you're 10,000 downloads? Is that what you're (laughs) No, just I'm just, every time that number goes up, I just keep thinking, man, people listen to this 90,000 times or now 100,000 times, so. Well, you were a radio personality for a long time, so it's natural to you. Okay, backstory. I worked at a radio station. I won't name the radio station. We had St. Louis Cardinal tickets to give away one time, and I was on the air, and I was like, hey, be caller number three and win yourself these great Cardinal tickets. Nobody called. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that was a great introduction to radio for me because I'm from then on I was like nobody listens so I'm good so so we're never gonna have live callers actually no. here here uh, I'll, I'll let you know in on something we've always had a live line we've never had one phone call just three seasons now like nobody calls in and now everybody's like where's the number yeah uh, we will do that actually you do have an app now yes. we should totally do that one night yeah we should do that with Candace after she destroys us. We'll do episode two. We'll take some calls. And then Candace go. can do it because yeah, people should just know her personality. She's pretty fiery. Yeah. Um, there are things I wish I could reveal on how powerful Candace is in meetings. <laughs> where, um, it's one of those people where like, you know, you don't have to be the man and step up and help. Like, you're good. No. <laughs> You don't need to help fight any battles. I, no. it, it, you're good. No, you're good. Just yeah. film it, though. Feisty. Feisty. Be the guy with the iPhone. Feisty. Um, so, well, we are joined again by Denise Hogue, the mother of Candace, for another episode with um, Denise. In this episode, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the family, uh, where it stands today, where her theories and ideologies are, and we can start. Um, Chris, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire away at you. Welcome back. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so we've uh, obviously had a, a great conversation last week and talking about just the various aspects of that. And I kind of hit on this a little bit, uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things I really want to get into is talking about some of the different theories. Uh, as I mentioned, your family got together a lot. Your mother had a theory about the 79 cutout. But let's talk about you and let's. what's your thoughts on, you know, what happened to the boys? Well, I always felt like my mom again has good intuition as a mother you know and so I always felt that she was probably right that they were buried under the roadbed somewhere and that it was possibly a cover-up yeah you know that somebody knew um I had heard as I was growing up from my sisters and brothers and stuff about a guy that worked on the roadbed and he was at a bar and had been drinking and he broke down crying saying oh my god i buried those boys well then they never did you know then i my understanding was the next day after he sobered up he denied it but i was talking to my sister recently and she said that she remembered that he left town Hmm. so yeah that was you know, interesting. Did that really happen? You know? Yeah. And, and you know, that was a closer to the time frame of when the boys disappeared. But you've had other instances in more recent years of, of, of flare-ups of possibilities of where the boys have been. And I think there was one in particular in the 90s that happened that uh, kind of hit you. Yes. Um, there, w- there was a couple that bought our old house and they were working on the basement and they were digging there was one place that was like dirt and they were digging it out so they could make a full basement and they had found some little bones and then a rumor got out that my dad had killed my brothers and buried them in the basement um i was very upset when i heard that i called my brother fred and told him you know there's a rumor going around this rumor's going around and He's like, it's just a rumor. Don't worry about it. I said, no, no. I said, there's people out there that believe stupid rumors. And I said, my parents, our parents aren't even here to defend themselves. And they were good people. You know, I don't, I don't like this. You know, I was really upset. So he did get a hold of the newscast and they did interview him. And he, you know, set the record straight on, on the station. But it's very upsetting. People don't realize what that does to you because we have it's like we have a wound that has never healed and when people start these rumors it hurts it's like putting salt in those wounds yeah you've had some other stories that that you've told us about people that you trusted friends that you trusted and it might have been that same instance that people believe that rumor and the reason why I think, Chris, that, that not only did you remember this one from the 90s, because this was something we brought up on our show, mm-hmm. and I nipped it in the bud immediately. Yep. And I think that's when um, I do remember having a conversation with, with Candace when we carpooled, because uh, she lives close to me up here to have a meeting. She did remember that episode that I did that because that's her grandfather. And this, this person she remembers is somebody that she loved and loved her. And basically, I think she had all her grandparents um, – you know, wrapped around her finger. But, you know, one in particular is that we also have to understand that that parents reprimanded people differently back then. Today, if you reprimand your child, you're going to end up in jail or somebody calls the cops on you or gets in your face. And that's unfortunate because you see the youth of today versus the youth 
of the past. And the past definitely had a lot more respect. And that was because I know your dad was even quoted as saying, if you go back into those road cut caves, I'm going to motor oil your motor. Mm-hmm. I think it's something like that. Do you remember that side of your dad? Did you, what is your worst memory of you getting reprimanded? Because I think that's a cool story, too, you should share. Right. And and when you ask me, you know, who, about that, I'm like, you would have to ask my older brothers and sisters because, you know, they prob- they were tired by the time they got to me, you know. <laughs> But I do remember one, you know, I can only remember one time that my dad motored my oil, and I well deserved it. Um, I went on a horseback ride with three other people, and we were gone for a long time. We went down, up and down the hills by the cave, by Mark Twain Cave, and ended up, it started raining, and we were at the cement plant at the picnic area, and we were under the pavilion waiting for the rain to stop. When I had gotten home, I don't know how long I was gone, but I had scared my parents. Not only were they outside, but everybody was outside my whole neighborhood. And when I got off the horse, I got a belt. <laughs> and yeah, it hurt. And I got grounded for a week. And usually I got out of my groundings, but this time I did not. Um so I like to say I got my butt beat <laughs> in front of the whole neighborhood, but I deserved every bit of it because I really scared him, and I yeah. knew that. Yeah, and it was, I mean, this is now seven years after the two boys went missing, and then you're, that, that same thing is happening again, and so they're reliving all that tragedy. But because of that bruising, as we used to say in my household, it solves and ends a lot of that rumor. Because the the actual reprimand that you received was because of the pain of that loss. Mm-hmm. And so for anybody to think anything different, they would just be moronic or trying to search for something that doesn't look. A lot of times people try to insert themselves in stories and try to figure something out. It just doesn't work that way. It's always the most, it's the simplest glance that we've overlooked, that everybody's overlooked. We had a great conversation uh, just for me and Chris's edification with the sheriff and we're not giving out any names as of right now. But the reason why we interviewed the sheriff was because of procedural principles. What happens if we do stumble across something or somebody does have information? How do we turn that in? And one of the things that, that I really liked that he said was, is that the public does solve crime, right? And so we have to be really assured that when these stories and these rumors hit, it's hard not only for the families, but it's also hard for law enforcement to have to now question a family about something so terrible. And regardless of where our aspirations are in finding something, and although that, that those statistics, and I've, and I've seen it, I've seen the rumors, I've heard, I, don't, I don't share that stuff with you. As you say, we've shared a lot of I don't share that stuff with you because I can say with my own, with about 100% accuracy that that is not the case in, in this case because the boys were seen. Your parents were at a market yes. when they got home. There, there's just... There's no timeline where that ever makes sense. So one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on, too, is to really kind of, because that rumor still is around. It still surfaces every now and then when we're talking to certain people. And they don't, it's not that they're trying to be malicious or anything like that. They're just trying to be inquisitive. They're being good true crimers. They're listening to a hundred other true crime shows. And so what happens is, is that, oh, maybe that's the case here. It's not the case here. This was 1967. Your dad was very well known yes. with the tavern. He was very well loved and respected. I mean, I think you said it when, in one of our meetings up here is that like there was always people at your house. Yes. 
there was always people partying at the hugs or hanging out at the hugs or everybody met up at the hugs even with the dig you know they were always there so i guess for me and i think you 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 did say that a lot of people can empathize with the idea of losing someone they can empathize with the idea of losing a sibling losing a parent and understanding the closure i think a lot of people understand it they can empathize but i don't think a lot of people can thread the laces of somebody that has a sibling or a parent or a brother or a cousin that's gone missing that's just lost that there's no answers there's there's nothing and so for 54 years you've had to endure that and so for my own edification as well as the audience i mean what is it what does it mean to you um to solve this and to bring this to a close it would mean the world to me um my mom that's one thing she always wanted to do to at least be able to put flowers on her son's graves she was never able to do that and i would like to be able to do that for her okay that is awesome and so is is it more important finding them and finding out who did it or is it is it just do you think it's enough closure to find them find them and give them the proper resting place and then anything that happens after that would be great but it's at this point it's just having that proper burial because they are their names are on the same tombs as your parents correct yes they are okay so they do have a place yes they do we just need to find them and put them there yes Okay. Chris? Yeah. um, One of the things you just mentioned, too, and we've talked about this before, but uh, going back to saying that, you know, there was a a great uh, family and a lot of friends and things like that, even with with the tavern, with your family owning the tavern, there was always a, a lot of friendship. There was never any hard feelings or any quote-unquote enemies of the family or anything like that right no and actually like at christmas time uh, we would get a lot of baskets fruit baskets nuts different stuff people would stop by and visit my parents during that time we would have all kinds of food everywhere and people would be over you know there was of course us kids you know we had a lot of kids um and it's kind of an interesting story i haven't shared with you that my parents paid a guy to bring a truckloads of our toys over he they paid him to dress up like santa claus <laughs> because with all those kids they knew that one of us would catch him <laughs> so yes and i remember seeing santa claus <laughs> <laughs> so you still believe <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it's so it's really, and I guess that's another part of the the story that I, I found really interesting. When we've talked in the past is that uh, you know even those days with the search, uh, you had you said you didn't have to worry about eating, right? I mean, you had no. everything that people were bringing stuff and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had our house was full then too. I remember you know splunkers being in there, food being everywhere. You know there was a lot of traffic. I remember going to the church to Christian, the Christian church, uh, Southside Christian, and I remember seeing people there. There was food, and then there would be cots there for the the guys to take breaks and you know rest. Yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was a crazy scene here. When we, when we visit Hannibal today, it, it is America's hometown. It definitely has its share of tourism. Um, uh, two weeks ago, there was uh, the car show there, and of course, I was in heaven when I was driving down here, and I'm seeing all the cars going there, and I'm wishing, man, I wish I would have brought one of mine, <laughs> but unfortunately, mine don't run yet, so they'll be there one day, um, but the, the thing that 
strikes me about May 10th, 1967, I think it was just a different, it was a different atmosphere. Now, 54 years have passed, and one of the things that is always brought up with some of the, the in-mails and the DMs that we get, so direct messages on Facebook, and sometimes it's, it's strange because it doesn't always hit like Lost Boys of Hannibal. It hits me personally, and sometimes it goes to Chris personally, and that might just be because they look up our name and they send us a message, or they don't want to be, they don't really know how it works, and can anybody see that message? One of the ones I received recently is something that I've wanted to ask you, and I waited for the podcast to ask you because I also wanted to get Chris's reaction to it. And I don't know if it's ever passed his mind. I know it's passed mine a little bit, but the sense of urgency that was instrumented with your brothers going missing and the idea that your mom had intuition about a cover-up. Did it ever strike you as odd that there had been kids that had gone missing in Murphy's Cave about a year before, two years before your brothers did? They were found, of course. They found their way out. And then in Tennessee, there was a couple kids that went missing around the same time period. But when your brothers and Craig went missing, they sprung into action within 48 hours, and we had Air Force Two out here within a matter of minutes, and then 150 National Guards within a week in 1967. Has it ever struck you as odd that there was something bigger at play or bigger at stake? Never really thought about it. You know, I was like five. (laughs) 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 So, no, and I don't ever recall, you know, them saying anything about that either. What I would think is, you know, when kids are missing – and especially with the construction going on, you want to find them as quick as you can because they could be buried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that could have happened. They were dynamiting, you know. Um, they could have been, you know, a collapse, and they're under a collapse or something. Plus, you've got to figure, too, that time of year it gets pretty cool in the basement and stuff. And I think that played part of it, too. Okay. Yeah, it was something that was brought to my attention recently, and it was very interesting. Um, I guess today our response time is so fast, and then a lot of things went into place later. Um, And a lot of people don't talk about this, but the 1967 disappearance of the three boys of Hannibal really put and set standards into how we operate. It was really the, 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 quote-unquote, the stepping stones of new foundational tactics for rescue and search and how fast they, they, they have it on time. You know, I just had this thought, and this may be way too wide open, but I kind of want to answer your, kind of talk about that reaction time. And now it's time for Chris's rabbit hole. Chris's deep thoughts. <laughs> uh, you know, Johnson was president at the time. Mm-hmm. You also had, you also had um, Vietnam that was really getting going. Could it have been possible that you obviously had Air Force Two being used? So obviously the president knew about this, which, I mean, just think about that for a second. I don't know <laughs> if you ever processed that, uh, that the president actually was thinking about uh, what was going on in Hannibal but and with your brothers. But here's I wonder if it was a, that he wanted to win. And so he was trying to get his name. I mean, that may be way too broad to even think about, but it could be an option. I mean, that's going down a rabbit hole, but it could be an option that they were looking. They said that this could be a win we can be involved with. And that's then a big rabbit be, hole. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Well, the first episode of the show, he, he talks about his love for LBJ. Um, 
So this you is, talk about your love for LBJ. <laughs> you said you have a lot of conspiracies about LBJ. And you have a hat that has LBJ on it. I do. It's in my car, actually. I have two of them. I love the open road. Um, the open road Stetson was actually his whole entire signature. So I actually, I do wear one. I wear a green one, a sage one. Um, so, but yeah, I think that, yeah, he needed a win. I mean, sure. Vietnam War was striking up at the same time. But also is the same time as as you guys were coming up in age and growing up without Billy and Joey. Now, did that ever subside in your family? Do, do you, I know you were five, but do you think that you had different parents from, from the time that you were coming up to when they went missing? Yes, because, well, that's kind of hard to answer. I know it was, it hurt him a lot. Um, my mom would have nightmares. She would wake up, you know, screaming and yelling. And actually, when my father passed away, she woke up, or her her hands, her knuckles were all, you know, scratched up and stuff. Um, and I asked her what happened, and it brought up old wounds, you know. And she was having nightmares, and I believe she was digging for them or trying to find them. And so it was the wall that she was hitting. Wow. So. You know, they even with me, with my kids, it makes you more close-knit and more protective. And you don't get to go do as much. And you can ask Candace about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll tell you. Um, I just didn't let her go off like other kids got to go off. We were more protective. Um when we were we were watching the Fourth of July fireworks one time, and we were all there, and my ne- my uh, nephew was real little, and we were all talking. It was over, and we looked around, and he was gone. And you know, of course, everybody was alert. You know, where's he at? Where's he at? You know, you're in a crowd of people, and my sister-in-law and them you know of course they're upset but we were like extremely you know it goes to extremes with us and i was talking to my sister-in-law just a couple weeks ago about that and she goes you should have gotten counseling back then because with us we get upset and worried but you all go to a whole new level with it and we do i um remember one time trying to i went to pick up my son keegan at school and wires got crossed he got in with the daycare van and i was waiting for him and i ended up going in the school because all the kids were gone and they're like no he's gone so i went to his grandparents to make sure maybe he walked up there and he wasn't there and by then my adrenaline was way up i was crying i was praying you know, I was like, oh, my God, what's happened? Well, I just happened to go to the daycare just to see, and there he was. But it's just, it does. It takes you to a whole new level, yeah. something you don't want to experience. Were your siblings the same way with their kids? Oh, yes. Yeah, they were. Wow. Hmm. Now, I don't know as much with the older ones, but I know with my, my younger brother, Dan, he's that way. We are. Okay. More so. Yeah. Wow. Just a lot to take in. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're they're tough questions. I yeah. mean, we, we are a documentary film company. I mean, we, <laughs> we try to get to to hard stuff, and you've been 
so open and honest. So I appreciate that. I know that I know the listeners appreciate that as well. Um, but I do want to lighten things up a little bit. Now you've been listening to the podcast, which makes me very happy. I know Candice is an, is an avid listener. Uh, she's our, she's our biggest fan now. She's actually in our, in our Slack channel now, which is cool. So she gets in there and does some research with us and drops off her research and makes some corrections. When you guys were coming up, as you know, every one of our podcasts kind of starts with a song because of my love for 60s cars and music. So does when you first listened to our podcast, were some of the songs, did some of the songs reach you? Did some of the songs bring you back to that, that time period? Do you remember? Well, who was your favorite? Are you a Beatles fan? I mean, what, what was your sensation? Uh, I, I do remember listening to some music back then. I, uh, my older brother, Tim, who was still at home, listened to music a lot. And so some of the songs that he listened to, of course, I still, I think of him every time I hear it, and one of them is Chewy Chewy. Hmm. Um, I love that song, and I think of him, and mainly, you know, he's like, get out of my chair. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, no, you're, he's getting out of the chair because the, the way the radios were back then, right? People kind of sat in front of it, right? Uh, well, I just, it was like a single arm chair, you know, so that he could just sit back, you know, and... and just, yeah. Yeah. And mellow out and just, like, enjoy the vibes. And you were harshing his mellow by kind of being in his chair. He needed to be there to experience the... Yes. The full apparatus <laughs> of, of the song. Uh, you, that actually brings up another uh, item is is when you were growing up there was again you had 11 siblings uh, well 11 count yourself but, but you had quite a few that were living in the house even when you were growing up correct yes mm-hmm. so how how was uh how was that because you had a wide range of with you being the youngest but you still had 19 20 year olds in the house right um so tim was still in the house and debbie um I really, again, I was five. Right, right. <laughs> I don't really remember the sleeping arrangements. Um, we had one bedroom downstairs, that was mom and dad's, and then two bedrooms upstairs. And so we shared bedrooms a lot. Uh, and then the house had two rooms off at the back. One was a kitchen, but then they changed that. And then there was a bigger room. But I don't think that we stayed there. Because I remember was we were all living upstairs, you know, and would come down. Mm-hmm. But I really can't tell you. Yeah. I do remember something, though, that was kind of fun as a kid. Um, we would be have to take naps. And my brother Tim had a girlfriend. And in order to get us to sleep, he said, you know, you have to go to sleep if you want the fairy to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i remember seeing the fairy because he had her dress up in one of my sister's prom dresses <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah. that's great well that was good that you guys still had a lot of like banter too i think that's still you know part of a growing family even with you know the tragedy that befell you guys it seemed like a lot mm-hmm. of you guys and, and the hugs had had their share of tragedy and and you guys were always willing to overcome so you did have a and a lot of times people talk about this a lot it's one of the reasons why my path is different i think your path is different too but when you have a relationship with god i think things make sense right yes. things things make you can make sense of tragedy right mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it goes away it doesn't mean that the wound is is covered 
but there's there's this thing that's called grace, God's grace, yes. and I think there's something that that we don't talk about anymore today. We we don't talk about God's grace a lot, and um, I think it's important that that um, I don't know where Chris is. I'm not one of these people that Bible beats or, or or builds walls to Jesus. But my thing is that I've always had a good amount of faith in me, and I really the 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 voice in your head that tells you not to do something for me has always been the Holy Spirit. It's always somebody upstairs or angel or something like. Yes. You really shouldn't drive that fast, bro. I can't protect you <laughs> over sixty five miles an hour, dude. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I do appreciate your faith, and I know that when we've talked to you a lot, we we you always say that, and you remind me a lot of my mom. My mom always says that, and um, my grandmother was like that too. Don't worry about it. You know, it's in God's hands, and if if we're meant to this find this resolve then we will and god will reveal it in in his way in his time and we can only meet him halfway right that's true um so one of the things that i do want to want do want to say is that you're retiring next week i think june 1st correct yes what what are your plans for retirement are you going to bahamas i mean what are you, what are you doing <laughs> well no i'm going to be working from home with a with a company and i guess enjoying life hopefully you know <laughs> it's gonna be nice not to have to go to work especially in the winter with the you know with the bad roads and stuff so yeah, yeah. so it's important to stay you're gonna stay active with the search with us Lost yes Boy i am yes. okay yeah. awesome so we can we can count on you for all the stuff that we get and yes you can all right all right that's awesome well, Chris, i'll get my boots on i know you will there you go. <laughs> so the boots on the ground on this show include the hugs which is awesome and hopefully one day we will have um a dow representative i know that i guess my last question to you have you had contact with the dow family i know you were younger but i know you've kept this up with fred and fred, i want to do mention fred fred was a big advocate of finding the lost boys yes he was um he he was him and uh marty hodges actually are the ones that went around and made it possible for the um monument that's on top of the lover's leap that's how that was possible that's awesome yeah and we were able to visit that with a couple of our uh, listeners too which is great i didn't know that i did not know that mm-hmm. um and if you guys are wondering who fred is fred is actually one of the the most famous newspaper clippings of your mom and fred correct are mm-hmm. right on the front cover there and so we've we're going to display that for this episode so you guys know who we're talking about in this episode. We're also going to let you hear the song, and the song that kicked this episode off was Tim's favorite song, and it makes uh, Denise remember him a lot. So, Chris, unless you have anything further? No, I just appreciate uh, having you come on and talk to us, Denise, and uh, just uh, looking forward to what we can look forward to the future working together and, and, and trying to move forward and have the boots on the ground. Thank you. Yeah. On the next episode of The Lost Boys of Hannibal, we let you know exactly where we're at with the cave search as the search continues and boots are on the ground in Hannibal, Missouri. From all of us here at The Lost Boys of Hannibal, I'm Frankie. I'm Chris. We'll be seeing you.